You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast. AKA Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from bicyclists who have pedaled to places all over the U.S. Each week, we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Well, on the podcast today is Robin Elliott. Hey, Robin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kathy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, we're recording this uh, in mid-April, so we are still in the middle of this crazy coronavirus pandemic. You know, our worlds are a little bit different than they would be uh, normally, if there's such thing as normal, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> but... Um, you own a pretty cool business called Bicycle Tours of Atlanta. So I wanted to get you on the podcast to learn more about it and just see what it's like being a business owner of bicycle tours because I'm very intrigued by that. And also, I know that you've been on some bike adventures because I've seen some great photographs on social media. Uh, so hopefully you're open to talk about all that. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Well, first a bit, I always ask uh, people that I interview a little bit about yourself. So start out by, I already spoiled it, that you live in Atlanta. So sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. But That's okay. yeah. <laughs> um, tell us, you know, what, what it's like there as far as cycling. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I am from Atlanta. I was actually, I actually grew up here with the exception of like six years in the um, Boston area. Mm. Um, and, but I've been back in Atlanta for 21 years and I've always, you know, I, I say I've always had a relationship with a bike is sometimes it's been stronger than other times, but mm -hmm. it's the, it's the longest relationship I've ever had. Nice. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so 10 years ago and uh, actually 11 years ago now, but in 2009 is when I started the business. Mm. Um, at that time, I mean, I was a very casual rider. I had moved back to Atlanta uh, in, in 1999, and prior to that, when I was living in the Boston area, I did a good bit of mountain biking at that time. But when I came back to Atlanta, I just never reconnected with um, those folks necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, but in 2008, when the recession hit, um, I was at that time working in the uh, real estate industry. I was an inspector for new construction. And, um, and again, just, you know, kind of doing the casual riding around town, mm -hmm. cycling at that time, right around 1999 and 2000. Um, and I'm kind of jumping back, but that's really when things started changing in our city in terms of being, um, a little bit more cycle friendly, but mm -hmm. then by 2008, 2009, we had our own uh, Atlanta bicycle coalition. Um, we had a new executive director come on, um, she's been magnificent. She has continued to be, and she really took that non, you know, that, that organization to the next level. And in terms of really engaging with our city planners, um, and today we have, you know, probably around 110 or 120 to, yeah, right around 120, um, bicycle trails and, uh, bike lanes and things like that around the, the city area mm -hmm. and kind of reaching out a bit, um, we have a major cycling path called the Silver Comet, which is 63 miles that goes from just the outskirts of the downtown area um, all the way to the state line of Alabama. Um, we have, you know, other trails throughout uh, the metro region and even reaching further. But um, we have a good bit of opportunity for people to either 
um, cycle hard or slow roll or ride around on their fixie gears, which we have, we just, and we have a full range of the bike culture nice. here in Atlanta. That's nice. And to have that many trails, uh, that director did some major work because that was over maybe what, 10, 12 years. Yeah. Over 10 or so years. I mean, we had some trails in place, mm-hmm. but the biggest improvement in our city has been designated, um, protected lanes mm-hmm. in our city. That's been one of the biggest, uh, changes, um, because it's, it's, it's a little harder, obviously, to get actual paths in place, mm-hmm. but to be able to go into the city where there's, you know, four lanes and have one lane completely dedicated and protected um, for, you know, uh, for bikes to ride on is a pretty big deal. Okay. And they still fight that fight. Um, so it's really, it's really great. Her name is Rebecca Cerner, by the way. I got to give her a shout out. Yeah. Shout out to Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you mentioned that you've got um, all kinds of different cyclists in your area. And you also mentioned you did you dabbled in mountain biking when you were in a different city. But what mm-hmm. kind of biking do you do there now? Um, well, you know, what's really funny. I got to tell you that since the pandemic, mm-hmm. I've been I'm riding again. Um, I always, you know, would get on my bike maybe three times a week, but I never rode uh, really hard. I mean, I, I mean, I just didn't have a long history of, I'm going to go out and ride, you know, 30 miles tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and about three years ago, I bought a, uh, a Fuji. Um, and you see, I'm not even so brand oriented, but it's a carbon fiber Fuji bike. Nice. And um, about six months ago, I really tried to sell my bike or I was thinking hard about selling my bike. And thank God I didn't because now I'm riding. Mm. Now I'm going out and I'm doing the 20 miles, you know, three and four times um, a week. Um, last Saturday, I rode 30 miles out to Stone Mountain. And that's that's actually new for me. Mm-hmm. So I am loving it. And it, if it were not for, you know, the crisis we're in, I, I wouldn't be back riding the way I did as a much younger person. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm I'll speak for myself, but um, riding bikes at this point, you know, with this whole pandemic going on is great for me physically, but mentally it's even better because just being outside in fresh air and nobody else around, just me and my thoughts, it's just Mm -hmm. been super valuable. It is valuable. And the other really great thing is it's the best time I've ever experienced, I imagine most of us to actually ride on the streets because, you know, the motorists are at home. Right. Um, I mean, the places that I've been able to ride comfortably um, at any time of the day right now during this has, has just blown my mind. And it's fantastic. I so it's, agree. It, it's a great time if you've been kind of thinking about, oh, I wish I'd hop on a bike and ride. This is the best time ever to do it. Mm-hmm. And as far as the state of Iowa, hopefully in your state as well, bike shops are still deemed essential. So you can still get your bike serviced. Um, in Iowa, you can still actually buy a bicycle, but it's kind of a no contact method. So it's, you know, if you're really not sure what you want, it's maybe not the best move. So get the bike out of the garage and get it to a bike shop and tuned up. Yeah, most, most of our bike shops are still open and they are still, they are still doing that kind of business, but, but it's by appointment only. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know that one bike shop owner, she, I mean, she does like a full interview. She, you know, all those questions that someone would usually be asked in a shop, you know, mm-hmm. how they're riding, what their skill set is and those sorts of things. And what is your price point? So before they even walk in, 
I think a lot of these bike shops have two or three bikes pulled and say, this, this is, these are your choices. Yeah. And, um, and I think they do a really good job of knowing if they really have a buyer because these shops have got to turn over some cash, you know, mm-hmm. they've got to make their own money. So, you know, people who are really serious about wanting to ride right now, at least in, in my city, um, you can still get a bike. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as far as you mentioned the Silver Comet, which sounds like an amazing trail because it goes for so long, but are there any other specific places to ride in your area that you want to promote? You know, if people, people in the Atlanta metro area, as well as when they come to Atlanta, and if you're, if you ride a bike or if you're active, you keep hearing about this thing called the Atlanta Beltline. Mm. And the Atlanta Beltline is a 22 mile loop that circles a city. However, it's not complete. There's portions of it that are complete. There's about a seven-mile section of it on what we call the East Side Trail. And if you could imagine on a clock, it's like 2 o'clock to it's probably getting to about 5 o'clock now. Or, mm-hmm. um, it, but the thing is, is, it is so incredibly popular that on a busy day, you re- usually can't even ride it with a bike because of all the pedestrian traffic. So that's a, that's a popular place to ride you know, when there's not a lot of traffic, which is kind of like now. So people are still utilizing that path Mm -hmm. inside of about probably four years. We may have the entire 22 miles uh, connected. There's different sections of it that are in place, but it's not totally connected. We have another path, um, you know, it's the Stone Mountain path, and it goes from almost downtown Atlanta all the way out to Stone Mountain um, Park. Uh, That is 17 miles. Mm. There's another path, and that one is more winding. It is not a rails-to-trails type of product in the same way that the Silver Comet is. And so the Silver Comet, with the exception of a small section of it, is pretty flat, Mm -hmm. pretty straight. Um, But the the Stone Mountain Path is wonderful because it's hilly, it's winding. Uh, a couple of times it breaks up and you can follow the signs to pick it up at the next location. It goes through an incredible little town called Clarkston, Georgia, which is a, a community that has for probably 25 years um, been a community where many refugees have settled. And it has over 64 languages that are spoken in that in that city. Oh, interesting. Um, it's a very interesting success story of what, you know, the state of Georgia and that city of Clarkston has done um, to welcome and, and provide services to those individuals that have um, been coming into the country for many years, mm-hmm. and, you know, through all the proper channels. And um, but on that path, you go all the way to Stone Mountain Park. Stone Mountain has a granite mountain in it, uh, and it's about six miles around the mountain. So that's a very popular way to get in. Um, I think we're getting close to 40 miles on that. So mm. it's um, there's that. But then we also have all these beautiful, gorgeous neighborhoods. And back to the mountain biking, we have plenty of mountain biking trails. Yeah. Also scattered out in the metro area and then beyond. You know, you can you don't have to drive. You don't have to drive far to find mountain biking trails. And from the city of Atlanta, if you're willing to drive an hour, hour and a half, you're going to find magnificent um, mountain biking trails. Mm. Um, but we have some great ones that are closer than that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as just, you know, there's, we have a lot of riding clubs and so, you know, you have the city of Atlanta, but you also have all of these Metro, um, areas and all these other cities. So almost every city surrounding us has their own cycling clubs. Mm. I mean, so there's a tremendous amount of road bike riding 
that mm-hmm. goes on in in our region. And then in the city, though, you get a little bit quirkier and crazier and a little bit more fun because you do have your fixie gear community. You have uh, we have critical mass. I'm sure you or your listeners, I mean, you, you know what critical mass is or do you? Well, explain it. I mean, I do. Oh, cool. I do know what it is, but I think it'd be good to explain it because it's some such of your a it's mind blowing. Okay, yeah, it is. So, so critical mass happens um, every the last Friday of every month, and it happens not only in Atlanta, but it happens in cities all over the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know the original city, Kathy. Do you? I don't know. Okay. It's an Asian country. I just don't know which one. Oddly enough, I think it was an Asian country. Could be wrong about that. But um, you have people that come together in our downtown area on a you know on a bad weather night. You could have up to sixty or seventy people in the spring and in the fall. And when when weather is just so magnificent, you could have over 400 people nice. come together. Um, there's not a planned route. Uh, I got to give a shout out to another uh, guy that lives in the community. His name is Angel Poventude. And he is the one who really is responsible for critical mass being here. Mm. Um, he's the one who, you know, in the very beginning, it, it, it was some somewhat challenging um, in terms of how cyclists would conduct themselves once we started out. Um, but he very quickly kind of reined that in. And it's a very well behaved group of cyclists in terms of as best they can following all the rules of the road. And that's mm-hmm. always a real challenge when you have 400 people. If right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a matter of, you know, um, a lot of times they, you know, they do stop and let everybody collect. Um, there is, you know, they they are a fairly courteous group. There's always some challenges, though, when you have that many people out. But it's all ages, all, you know, levels of fitness. It is not as slow rolling as a slow roll. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're real still looking at a lot of people coming out. But, um, you know, so that's where you also really see our diverse cycling community because everybody from every, you know, style of riding comes together and rides. Mm-hmm. So do you have a critical mass in your city? We don't. No, I would love to set something up. But right now we we uh, battle the car versus the bike quite a bit here in this town. Just, uh, yeah, the, the drivers are not ready to let the cyclists take over the roads yet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's still challenging. You know, you still have, you know, plenty of reasons why, you know, motorists, you know, need to get through a traffic light. They don't want to wait. I don't blame mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of trying to balance that and and have everybody understand that, you know, we want to be a a peaceful group out there. Right. Right. And it's one, you know, one day out of the month. So it's it's such such a great sight to see. Maybe I I need to make that my goal during this pandemic is to focus on something fun like planning that. But we'll see. (laughs) That would be great. I'd love to uh, help you out with that and put you in touch with Angel. But he's pretty amazing. A quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full-service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. Well, okay, so we're talking about the streets of Atlanta. So I think this is a good segue to get into Bicycle Tours of Atlanta, which is the company that you own. And 
I think it's obvious, we've talked about it enough, that we're in the middle of this pandemic and it's not appropriate for people to be biking in large groups. So you're not doing that right now. But think think back to when we could be out and biking freely. Um, Let's talk about Bicycle Tours of Atlanta. Okay. Um, You know, as I said earlier, and it was um, 2008 when the recession hit. And at that time, you know, I really wanted to do something that I would love. And, you know, a few things happened. I had a couple of friends in from out of town. One was from Zurich. One was from Montreal. And we took them on, I took them on a bike ride. I said, let's go rent bikes while y'all are in town. We did it. And I was shocked at what they saw, things that I see all the time, Mm. things that I just kind of take for granted. And at the end of that, they said, you know, Robin, we've been coming to Atlanta on business for years and I had no idea that Atlanta was cool. Oh, I had no wow. idea that there were all these beautiful neighborhoods. Um, and at that time, I really couldn't tell them anything about anything they were laying their eyes on. I was just saying, this is Atlanta. But it was at that moment I decided that that's what I would do because the the market was, you know, taking a dive. I knew I had to do something. And uh, in 2009 is when I launched the company. Um, and I did other things at the same time. I didn't do – I did a very gradual um, launching of a business. Mm-hmm. I, um, I bought up some rental bikes, about 12 rental bikes from a shop that was on the Silver Comet Trail at the time. And, you know, so every year they'd get rid of their old fleet. And so I started with used bikes, you know, really just kind of winged it in the beginning. But I knew that I needed to come up with routes that were great for the average Joe. Mm-hmm. And so I flattened the route as much as I could. And so sometimes we're not going the most direct way to places, but we're definitely going the scenic and most manageable for anyone who maybe even hasn't been on a bike for 10 or 15 years. And that's been actually one of the most incredible experiences of having this company is having people do the tour. And then at the end of it saying either a, every time I travel now, I'm going to do a bike tour Mm. Or I'm going to go home and buy a bike. I had one woman many years ago send a note back to me and say, I've just bought a bike. And on that tour, she said, I hadn't been on a bike in 10 years. And now we're Facebook friends. I mean, she clocks in, I don't know. I know one time she was clocking in 100 miles a week. Oh, man, that's such a great story. So it's just this, this real opportunity. There's so many There's so many great things that I have gotten out of doing this that my team, my staff, have gotten from these experiences. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, so, so the company has been around for that long. We've had, we, we've been successful in a lot of ways. Um, and I would say that it, you know, could always be more successful in terms of, you know, more customers over the course of the year, but it's kind of, it, it's, it's a pretty joyous experience for the most part. And for all the work I do when I'm not on my bike, the pay, the payoff is when I'm on my bike, with people mm-hmm. from all over the world. Mm-hmm. What are some examples of the types of tours? You know, like you said, most of them are flat and scenic, but like when people are like, I want to take a bike tour, like what choices do they have? Yeah. Well, you know, when we first started, we had a, a tour called Heart of the City, um, and we ended up changing the name to Fall in Love with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And th- that is because that was one of the number one things that people would say at some point during the tour, at the end of the tour, wow, I just fell in love with your city. I had no idea. Uh Um, And so the fall in love with Atlanta tour, I would say is kind of the, you know, it's a highlights tour. Um, We 
are next to the Beltline. Our office is next to the Beltline, but we also are in, we're also in Martin Luther King's birth home neighborhood. So, you know, when people come on the tour, they would experience, you know, going through that neighborhood and through the historic um, site itself, um, where the burial site is, mm-hmm. where the Ebenezer Baptist Church uh, is located. We, you know, we go up to a place that's called Jackson Street Bridge, which is an iconic spot here in the city it's uh if you're a fan of walking dad you would recognize it because it's where the hero is going into the city on a horse and the cars <laughs> are trying to get out of town but it is our skyline view of the city mm. um and then you know we spend some time on one of the um the bike paths the, the stone mountain and it's called freedom park path in the city uh and we make our way over into another neighborhood called old fourth ward which is one of the most changing rapidly changing neighborhoods that's um great and it's also challenging and that it's also facing some of the uh, biggest issues around gentrification um so you know when we take people out we we just show them what they're looking at we talk about those things that Mm -hmm. are right in front of them um but uh and and in the course of that you know they see a lot of great art um as you know as you saw on the post that i was doing uh, through another historic neighborhood called Inman Park, one of the first planned communities in the city where you had a lot of the movers and shakers of early Atlanta, the gentleman who um, purchased the Coca-Cola formula from the pharmacist, whose name is Asa Candler. His home is there. So you have, you know, turn of the century mansions of the time in that particular neighborhood. And there's other history that we share about that neighborhood as well. It also has some ties to the Civil War. Um, from there, we make our way through Crog Tunnel. Crog Tunnel is what we call kind of ground zero. Um, that was one of the posts I did on the, the site that you found me on. Oh, was that the, like the tunnel? Yeah. Not the tunnel. It was almost like the a tunnel sub- with all the art. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tunnel. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's where it's very free form. So people are in there all the time painting and it's completely, um, allowed, um, and there's a number of places in our city where that type of graffiti writing goes on all the time and there's, you know, there's no problem with it. So that's always very interesting. You'll find sometimes beautiful pieces of art. Uh, sometimes you find people picking up the can for the first time and it looks kind of like scribble, but um, it's, you know, but again, you'll see, you'll see parents in there with their kids painting. Um, and it's great. And it connects to another historic neighborhood, actually two historic neighborhoods. Um, the one's called Reynolds Town. And Reynolds Town was one of the first communities that was established by freed slaves. And that was uh, in 1866. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of history there. We, we spent a good bit of time on that tour when we're on our civil rights tour. And then we um, also come into another neighborhood called Cabbage Town, originally called Milltown, but it was uh, later known as Cabbage Town because you could always smell cabbage cooking whenever you went in it. <laughs> but it was where you, that's where the uh, folks who worked in the mill and the factory lived. Okay. And, you know, cabbage is poor, as uh, poor as uh, poor people's food. And there was a lot of, Poor folks living in that neighborhood. And today it is actually one of the most expensive neighborhoods in our city on a per square foot basis. Mm. It's some of the most expensive shotgun houses you'll ever want to buy. And um, so it's pretty cool. It's interesting. And we also make our way over to Oakland Cemetery, which is a historic uh, cemetery here in the city that not only um, is still an active cemetery for burials, but it also is host to music concerts and 
events and more weddings take place in the cemetery than burials each year. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of interesting stuff. So that's, you know, that's kind of what you would see and experience on the fall in love with Atlanta tour. And in the, in the neighborhood of Cabbage town, um, there was an event that took, that started five years ago and it's called forward warrior. And that was established by a gentleman whose name is Peter Ferrari. He's a, an artist himself and he used to live in that neighborhood. But as that tunnel, that photograph you saw of the tunnel with all the graffiti, well, what used to happen is that graffiti used to spill out of the tunnel and fill up all of these retaining walls that were on one border of that uh, neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, five or six years ago, they reached out to Peter and said, hey, you know, you're a mural artist. Do you have any friends? Y'all can come out and paint over this. We'll sponsor it. Um, so long story short, now what we have is a, a weekend long event where you'll have 35 to 40 artists painting along this huge wall that is probably it may be half a mile oh, I wouldn't be wow. surprised okay. if the wall itself is is if, if it's not half a mile it's close mm-hmm. and what you have is artists painting on that wall um side by side for three days um and then that work stays intact almost for the entire year there's very little tagging that happens on it it's honored, you know, people that, you know, they come around, they come out of the graffiti filled tunnel into this area where there's art. Mm. It, I mean, you know, I, I can't say that it doesn't ever get tagged, but for the very most part and tagged as, you know, that graffiti artists might throw their letters up on it or, sure. you know, vandalize it or, or paint over it or whatever it might be. But uh, Peter is the curator of that. He does a, an amazing job. Um, and it's become a really great opportunity for uh, established artists as well as emerging artists to come and paint on on this major project that has really become a really big deal here in the city because all during those three days you have those artists are open to conversations with the public. People are walking up and interacting with the artists, learning about the artist, and it's done a tremendous amount for our city. Wow, I'm falling in love with Atlanta, and I'm not even there. <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Um, and are, I'm assuming, you know, what you're describing are all day trips. Um, do you also offer like overnight or multi-day trips? You know, I don't. Um, and I will tell you that during this pandemic that we're in during this crisis that we're in it you know I am thinking about what are other things that I could do because what I'm trying to do with this time is really look at for instance I think most of us at some point in time go gosh I wish things would just stop long enough for me to figure out what it is I want to do and here we are right here we are you know so I'm trying to make use of that time. And, um, and as a matter of fact, tonight, my staff and I are, we're having a, um, a potluck, um, gathering on zoom. <laughs> Fun. Um, we're all going to be having dinner together. You know, part of what I want to get from my team too, is, you know, where are we, you know, collectively, you know, what do we want to be doing? How do we want to take our skills and use this time to really figure out what as a company and as a team, you know, we would like to be doing next. And with the writing that I've been doing, I am thinking a little bit more about, you know, the, um, you know, the bike camping mm-hmm. and if that might be something that we could, you know, that we could pull off with the resources that we have um, or just offer it as an outlet, you know, a way for people to connect to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything we do doesn't have to be, you know, to make money. But I, I mean, I'm definitely looking at what might work next. I've never done a multi-day personally. Mm-hmm. And it's always been kind of like on my bucket list. Um, Rag Rye's always been on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that there's just this a totally different experience. There's a lot of value mm-hmm. in those experiences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As you know, you know? Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about, or I'm thinking about the customers that you have, you know, like you mentioned, some of them have not been on a bike in a long time. And your group riding, which is kind of a new skill set for some people, but how is traffic or how is it like to bike in Atlanta? Are people, you know, when you see 10 bikes coming at you, I'm sure people are a lot more patient, but how is the traffic with Well, you know, that is a great question. Um, We have really taken pride in taking people that haven't ridden on the streets. A lot of people show up and they didn't even know they were going to be on the street. Mm. And, you know, maybe they just thought, oh, it'll be on trails, whatever. But, you know, we spend 10% of the time max on trails. We're in the streets other than that. So, you know, we, um, we go through, you know, first off, we fit them properly. A lot of people will come and they'll sit on the bike and their feet will be flat as a pancake. And I'll say, okay, I'm going to raise your seat for you. And they'll go, oh, no, it's good right here. And I'll go, no, it really isn't. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we really coach people in the process. Um, and while we're raising their seat, we give them an opportunity if they insist on starting with you know, their seat way too low. We let them start. It doesn't take them. They, they know by the time they've done the test ride that we need to raise their seat. But right. Sometimes it's easier for them to know that than for me to try to convince them. You know, we make sure everybody is fitted properly for starters. We have 10 minutes at least with our groups that we go through um, calling out commands, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Car up, car back, stopping, turning right, turning left, the whole thing. It's legal to ride doubled up in the city of Atlanta. So whenever we are on streets that it's safest for us just to ride doubled up, we do. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever there's two lanes going in the same direction, we ride doubled up. There's just no question about it. We approach every intersection doubled up. So these are, this is, we have a real strict protocol um, that gives everybody, I think, a real sense of safety. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's the first time they ever actually realize that if it's done properly, you can ride on the streets. Yeah, yeah, that's Um, great. And that's that's also a real exciting thing. I think when all of us have people at the end of the tour that just feel so empowered um, by that experience, you know, the fact that um, the, and the other thing that's great, you know, we are really selective about the roads that we choose. We don't ride during rush hour, although we could now, but in normal circumstances. Right. You know, we ride generally between 9 and 3.30. Those are generally when our tours happen. We do evening rides um, in very selected areas if we mm-hmm. have like a private event. But, you know, again, if it's rush hour, it's pretty limited where we would take people mm-hmm. on a private tour during rush hour. So um, we really have, I think, a pretty solid protocol that, again, you know, and by the end of it, everybody is yelling. I mean, we don't just go over the commands we actually are in the parking lot and we're yelling in the parking lot. They have to repeat every command after us in their outdoor voices. <laughs> so um, they all feel a little odd, but we know if they don't yell there, they won't they won't share that information once we get out and roll. So it's a totally new experience for a lot of people. And it's an amazing skill set for them to take back. Yeah. You know, even and if we, go, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I was gonna say even especially with families with young riders. Mm-hmm. 
it's real exciting for those kids to, you know, for us to know that those kids are going to go back. And when the next time they're riding in the neighborhood with their friends, that they, there's a good chance that they will have shared that skill set. Oh, yeah. I love that. Um, what is your website in case people who are listening to this want to check out what you have? Sure. It's biketoursatl.com. And if you just if you just type in Bicycle Tours of Atlanta, we fortunately come up for the first page or more. Awesome. That's great. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Going back to you, have you done any bike adventures that you want to share? You know, I love that, you know, spoiler, you, you gave me some questions before, but I love it that you were going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had the amazing privilege of going to Cuba the last week in February. Ooh. Now, let's, I say that because it was Cuba, but I also say that because it was the last week in, in February. And when we got to the airport in Havana, nobody was wearing a mask. When we left five days later, everybody had masks on that were working at the airport. Oh, so that wow. that's how just under the wire we got in there. I went with a friend of mine who goes almost annually. This was her 21st trip. She goes and there's always different programs that she goes in with. This She went in with a program that actually serves animals through a organization called the Spanky Project and they spay and neuter animals when this whole project comes into a city mm. and I just got to give them a plug too it's called the Spanky Project and they spayed and neutered 547 pets during the five days that they were there oh my goodness it was unbelievable so the the gift for me was that I got to go under this bringing supplies um, I spent some time at the clinic, but most of the time, honestly, I was kind of exploring and I did three different bicycle tours with three different companies, bicycle tour companies in Cuba. And I was fortunate enough to be the only person that scheduled a tour on each one of those tours. Oh, wow. Private and tours. It was a private tour. And, you know, the first day I went out, it was spectacular. Went out with um, this young man whose name was Elvis. What was really wonderful about this one-on-one -on -one experience was that I really got to ask them about their lives and what it's like to be in Cuba. This young man was a, um, he's a chemist. And so he had an opportunity to do a bicycle tour. And, you know, the economy in Cuba is so interesting that it's actually more, you know, financially productive for him to leave his chemist job and come do a bicycle tour. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's, it was a real interesting um, it was just interesting to learn about how the Cuban economy works um, and how dependent the Cuban people are on tourism because it is the only kind of segment of that population that there's there's more of a free market opportunity. It was very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so the first day I was out with Elvis, he showed me kind of the basic stuff or at least, you know, what you would normally see. But I also told him, I said, I really don't want to see the tourist traps i'd rather see you know what cuba's like yeah the what real stuff like for you the real stuff mm -hmm. uh second day i had a second you know i told i told um uh abraham my my tour guide for the second day um where what i had already seen and he says okay well we're gonna go see other stuff oh gosh 
and it, and and we even went to his house and I met his family. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. Oh, this sounds awesome. It was so awesome. And, you know, third day, told that gentleman what I had seen. And he says, okay, I'm going to show you some other stuff. It, it was just awesome. Wow. And I had kind of decided I wanted to do what well, what's real funny is my friend Kit, is her name, she was like, yeah, well, um, you're, you're going to want to take all these pictures of all these people on bikes. And there was certainly a lot of that, but I was kind of fixated on the whole cat thing. And I was like taking pictures of cats everywhere. And all my guides were like, okay, look, I see a cat over here. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. Um, but I mean, but learning about what and in each of these individual young men were really experiencing Cuba in a different way as well. Mm. Um, one of the gentlemen had actually lived in um, Holland and in uh, France um, before he came back to Cuba. And so his perspective of Cuba was very different than these other two even younger men that had never really, they'd never left Never Cuba. left. Mm-hmm. Never left Cuba. Never been off of the island. It was just unbelievable. There's two different economies. There's the tourism economy. There's the, you know, the the economy that most of the, you know, there's the peso economy. And then there's other money that's used in the tourism economy. It was unbelievable, eye-opening. I would encourage anybody who is listening and wants to go to Cuba to schedule private tours mm. with these individuals. Um, you know, because you just, you can still see all the same things, but the ability to really learn and ask the questions that you want to ask and understand about that country, you know, that you just can't do in a group. And I know that from my own times when I've had just individual people join my tour, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a totally different experience. Um, You really open up and you learn, you know, who your guest is and they learn who you are. Mm -hmm. Man, we could do a whole podcast on uh, your Cuba adventure. Uh, I'm like so um, intrigued. Oh, I mean, it, it is unbelievable. It is. I just can. It is there. And, and here's the thing for all your listeners. If you're thinking, "Ooh, I just don't know how in the world I could ever go to Cuba. Well, the Spanky Project operates three times a year doing this program. And, and what that project needs is they need people who can support the mission by bringing the biggest suitcases filled with all the kind of supplies they need to accomplish this mission. Hmm. And and you can get involved in that program, and that's one of the ways you can go to Cuba. And wow. you you know you don't have to sp- you can volunteer at the clinic one day, um, but it's you know there's a lot of different ways to go. Right, <laughs> and and that's a great way to go if you have a soft spot for cats and dogs. Um, it is an it is a remarkable experience. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go to the Spanky Project, and they have a video of this last event. It was mind blowing. And in Cuba, you know, if you have a pet, that's kind of a status symbol because, you know, there's plenty of stray animals all over these cities. They're Mm -hmm. everywhere. But if you have an animal, you know, that you're able to, well, first off, getting it spayed or neutered, that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother level of prestige. Mm -hmm. So it's, it it was pretty remarkable. Wow. It was remarkable. (laughs) I, I'm yeah, I'm super intrigued by this. This is awesome. So I don't know if you can beat going to Cuba, but do you have any adventures on the horizon once this pandemic's over? Well, you know, I've I've always been interested in the um the barge tours, you know, in Holland and uh, different places like that. Yeah. Those have really intrigued me. 
I would say that I'm probably at the very beginning of really looking at what's next. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some great tours um, in Croatia. That's kind of been you know, on my list, it's probably a little further out, but there's just so many. You go to these different uh, international bike touring sites and it's just unbelievable what's yeah. available. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Okay. Last question. Um, okay. You know, and think about the customers that um, are probably anxiously waiting for the pandemic to be over so they can get back on their bikes and join your tours. But any advice you'd give someone who wants to start riding their bike more? You know, I would, you know, again, right now is the easiest time. It's the best time of year um, where I am anyway. <laughs> I know you've got snow on the ground, but um, it's just the best time of year. And I say, if you can find just one other person, and I would say find one other person who's already committed to riding, Mm -hmm. not, not, hey, let's pick up riding, find somebody that's already committed to riding. And, um, you know, they don't have to be someone that rides hard all the time, but they enjoy getting out and riding Mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, hook your wagon to them and see if you can get out and ride with them or find three or four people. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think sometimes it's easy just to get stuck inside, especially with what we're all dealing with. Um, but number one, it is the easiest time in the, in our lifetime all over the world to ride your bike on the streets. Mm -hmm. There's no better time. And then find somebody that, that's, you know, willing to, um, hold your feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. You know, get your, get yourself on that bike. Let's go. Great advice. Well, Robin, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. I'm so glad that I got to meet you and hear about Bicycle Tours of Atlanta and all your adventures. Well, thanks for um, thinking of me. I enjoyed uh, sharing my city with you. Yeah, I definitely adding that to the list, a place to come, Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you, Robin Elliott, for coming on to talk about your company, Bicycle Tours of Atlanta. And if you happen to find yourself in Atlanta once businesses start to reopen, you can use code MURFOLOGY to get a discount on your next tour with Bicycle Tours of Atlanta. If you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. You can go to morphologypodcast.com to find some good info. And I recently launched a YouTube channel. So if you want to see videos of some of the places that I bike, check that out. I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of morphology. This quote is from Thomas Edison. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. Think about it.